We'll turn with me, if you would, once again to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Uh, As we spoke about last week, those of you who are here, uh, after years of groundbreaking work in telling the ancient world the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for mankind, the Apostle Paul is now engaged in a ministry of encouragement as he moves from city to city, encouraging these young churches that he has planted. Those of you who are visiting, we have been studying the book of Acts, this history of the early church, and we uh, have found our way now to chapter 20, well into this story. Following the Apostle Paul, who's still on the move, he is moving east at the present time. He's moving back towards Jerusalem. But on the way, he is encouraging all those he comes in contact with. As we come to Acts chapter 20, uh, the latter half, as we just continue to walk through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we come to the middle of Acts chapter 20, we come to a, a unique place in the book of Acts. We have heard a lot of speeches, a lot of sermons in the book of Acts. We think of Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, a speech, a sermon that resulted in his death. Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17, but here as we come to the latter half of Acts chapter 20, we come to the one significant speech in the book of Acts that is directed to you. It's directed to the church, as opposed to the world, as opposed to an audience of unbelief. It's directed primarily to believers, and specifically Leadership in the church. Because of that fact, this passage reads a bit like a letter. It reads a little bit like a a mini epistle of Paul. As we might open up one of his other many letters to the churches and read it. And so let's listen and think for a few minutes about what this passage has to say to us this morning. Acts chapter 20. Uh, starting at verse 17 and reading through the end of the chapter, verse 38. Listen as I read. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, that is Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you 
among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin this morning by thinking with you for a moment about last words. Last words are kind of fascinating to hear and to think about. In many cases, I think they reveal quite a great deal about what people are about. Let me give you some examples. Sir Winston Churchill, famous historical leader, is reported to say near his death, I'm bored with it all. I am convinced that there is no hope. Baseball player Mo Berg apparently said with his last breaths, how did the Mets do today? Harriet Tubman apparently said in her last sentence on earth, swing low, sweet chariot. Richard Baxter, well-known Puritan preacher, said, I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. And David Brainerd, a well-known missionary, said with his last words, I am going into eternity, and it is sweet to me to think of eternity. Some have made headlines recently writing their own obituaries. I don't know if you've heard or seen any of these uh, on the internet or on the news Uh, There was a 35-year-old man from Minneapolis who died last year. Late in the year, he died of a brain tumor, and he made headlines by writing this obituary. He says, Aaron Joseph, age 35, died peacefully at home on November 25th after complications from a radioactive spider bite that led to years of crime fighting and a years-long battle with a nefarious criminal named Cancer who has plagued our society for far too long. Civilians will recognize him best as Spider-Man and thank him for many years of service protecting our city, but his family knew him as a kind and mild manner art director, a designer of websites and T-shirts. 
Interesting that those are the last words we'll ever hear from that man. He obviously faced his life with a certain, faced his death rather with a certain um, jovialness and lightness. What do these words, these last words, say about these people? What will be your last words? And what will they say? about you. We have before us today in Acts chapter 20, not the last words ever of the Apostle Paul, but certainly some last words. You can see it in this passage. You can feel it in this passage, the emotion and the loss that these men whom Paul loves and who love, love Paul, they're hearing from him for the last time. Paul speaks here as a general of sorts. He speaks for one last time to this this battalion of soldiers that he leaves behind. It's an emotional speech full of tears and full of embrace. But more importantly, it reveals to us, I think, what Paul was about. What made Paul tick. What Paul held dear here in these last words to those who he invested in greatly. These are Paul's priorities in his own life and in the lives of these men. And they're of value to us this morning, not just because they reveal to us and fill in for us the character of the Apostle Paul, but because I think they're worthy of imitation. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. And not only that, but these words show us how God is caring for His people. How God is caring for you through the church. And through God's design for the church. And so those are the two areas that I want to go to this morning for the next few minutes. Two truths that I want us to think about as we walk through this speech from the Apostle Paul. And the first one is this. Learn from the example of a life poured out. Learn from the example of a life poured out. That's how I would characterize. That's how I would sum up Paul's life. And it's what he reminds the Ephesian elders of this one last time. Again, the context of this speech comes as Paul is is heading east towards Jerusalem. He's in a hurry. He wants to get there before Pentecost. And so although Ephesus was a church that he had spent a lot of time with them, he had invested in them greatly, he didn't want to stop in Ephesus, lest probably that he get hung up there for for too long of a time. And so he sailed right past Ephesus, And instead, he ports in this city of Miletus, a city that was 30 miles southeast of Ephesus as the crow flied. And he's going to be there for a couple days. And so as he's there getting supplies, whatever else is happening among the crew, he calls for the elders to make the trip down so that he can speak to them, so that he can spend one last time with them, so that he can encourage them. And he does those through this speech that we have that is really part 
autobiographical and part instructional and exhortational. And in this first section, really the section that takes us all the way to verse 27, he reminds the leaders in the church of Ephesus what kind of life he led, what he was all about. Basically, a life that's poured out for the gospel. If we were to pick one verse to sum it up, it would be verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul was about one thing. He was about running. He was about completing the race that the Lord had set before him. And for the Apostle Paul, that was a unique course. The Apostle Paul was on a different track than than all of you are on. It's the one that God chose for him. But what I want you to see this morning is that it's the same race. Paul's in the same race as as we are. He's fighting the same battle that we are. So let's pick apart a little bit of his life. We might think about our own. As we examine this, I want to ask three questions under this first point of learning from a life poured out. Number one, what was he all about? Number two, to whom did he speak? And number three, how did he go about it? First of all, what was he about? Well, the Apostle Paul was about teaching the truth. That He makes that abundantly clear in this speech. Verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, to proclaim the kingdom. Verse 20, 21, to testify the need for repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Verse 27, declaring the whole counsel of God. In other words, Paul was a pastor. And what we learn here from the Apostle Paul, this is what you want in a pastor. This is what I hope to some degree, to a much lesser degree, you have in a pastor. One who is faithful and committed to teaching and preaching the Word of God. In a world of constantly changing ideas and ideals, in a world with hearts that increasingly turn in on ourselves, making ourselves the authority, we need, we must have something outside of ourselves to guide us. We must have news so unbelievable that it has the power to turn our worlds upside down like it turned the Apostle Paul's world upside down. And we have it. We have the grace of God shown to sinners through us. Excuse me. Shown to sinners like us through Jesus. We've been singing about it. We've been rejoicing in it all morning. We have news of a kingdom of light that will last forever. We have a light for our feet and a lamp for what lies ahead in this book, in this revelation of God. See, Paul is simply revealing here as he recounts his life 
that he has found, that he has been found by a treasure that is worth everything. A treasure that he will gladly pour himself out for. And that treasure is Jesus. And proclaiming this Jesus. And proclaiming this word. And who did he do this to? The second question. Verse 21 tells us, testifying to both Jews and Greeks. In other words, everyone. The kingdom of God has no ethnic, has no social borders. The only requirement is that you acknowledge that you don't belong there. But that you trust in the one who gives you the right to be a citizen of that kingdom. This is an important point that Paul felt he needed to make in a religiously tense, racially tense context context like Paul's, he needed to remind these men that the gospel was for all, that even the Jews who came after him, Paul didn't turn his back on them completely, but preached faithfully the word of God to all. Come, all who are weary, that you might find rest. It's the free offer of the gospel that goes to all. Well, lastly, how did he proclaim it as we wrap up this autobiographical part of the speech of Paul? Well, at least three ways. Verse 20 says he proclaimed it with courage and perseverance. Paul does not shrink back from suffering. He didn't run from suffering. In fact, he heads to Jerusalem now knowing that what awaits him there are people who hate him. And remembering that imprisonment and affliction have awaited him in every city that he's gone to. And yet he goes because his life is worth nothing except for how the Lord Jesus wants to use it. Verse 19 tells us that he proclaimed it with tears. I think that's an important point for pastors, for leaders. This is not some business venture for Paul. It's not some organization or or company he's running or merely a task to be completed. No, Paul has entered into the lives of these people. This was profoundly personal for him. And we see at the end of the speech, the tears, the embrace. I didn't get into ministry for merely a job but to live life with you all. To share my life. To share your lives. And to point you to the One who is life. We see that in the Apostle Paul. And then lastly, verse 19, we see humility. This may seem odd that Paul draws attention to his own humility because it sure seems like a lot of this speech is kind of puffing himself up. But it's clear that Paul was not in any way out to make a name for himself. He was out to make a name for Jesus. He was pouring out his life for Jesus. Learn from the example of a life poured out. Obviously, thinking about this this week, studying this passage, it's, this obviously is a challenge for me personally. 
As a pastor like Paul, I desire more and more these things in my life. But how does this apply to you? As I said before, the course that Paul is on, the track that Paul is on is different. The race is the same. I think the challenge comes to us, to all of us, when our race is over, when our lives are nearing completion, what will we have poured it out upon? Paul says in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever our calling, whatever track the Lord has you on, because of the Gospel, may your life, may this be the cry of your heart, to live a life of honor before the Lord, to live a life that points to Christ. Learn from, be challenged by, imitate in some sense, a life poured out. That's the first thing I think we see in Acts chapter 20. But there's a second thing, a second point and truth, and it's this, rest in God's design for the church. Rest in God's design for the church. Last night, Toby and I were in the car going to the store, and we were talking airbags. We were talking about airbags. He had noticed that the airbag light was off in the car, and so we talked about why we have airbags, what's the value of airbags, and, and, and we were discussing what a comfort it was to have airbags, to know that if dad runs into a pole, that this big, puffy airbag is going to come out and catch us. The car is designed for our safety, designed for our care. You know, as Paul speaks to elders here, he speaks to all of us as well. He reminds you that you were made for a mission, you were made for a race. He reminds you that it's one that you can't accomplish on your own. It's not a solitary race. You're, you're on a team. You need to be armed and equipped. You need to be led and encouraged. And you need to be protected. You need the church because you are the church. And God loves the church. God loves you. Verse 28 reminds us of the extent of that love. He died for you. The shepherd willingly died for the sheep. And because of this, God has designed for you the church, for your care, for your safety, that you might have all that you need. Last week, those of you who are here know that in Troas, God reminded us of the gift and the importance of the gathering of God's people as we were reminded that God's people broke the bread together. What a gift that was. It's almost as if 
It's almost as if Luke, now going to this speech of the Apostle Paul, underlines that. The gift of the church. God's design for the church. You see, I could spend the the next 20 minutes just speaking to, to myself and to Pastor Ed and to Phil and to Theo, the elders of this church. And I'm sure they hear it and they listen to these words spoken to the elders in a, in a different manner than, than you all hear it. But this is a message for all of us because it simply declares to us God's good design for the church. Luke uses three words to talk about one office. As these elders are called together, as these men are called together, they all share one office, the office of elder. In verse 17, he uses the Greek word presbyteroi, which is translated into English as elders. This is probably new for some of you. This is where we get our word Presbyterian. Presbyterian being the form of church government that is ruled by elders. In verse 28, he uses the Greek word episkopoi, translated as overseers. It's not a different office. It's the same office, but it's from the Greek word, two words, to look and over. So overseers look over. And then finally in verse 28, he speaks of the church as being a flock of sheep with the implication that those who look over those sheep are shepherds. And indeed, the verb that he uses that's translated in your English Bibles as to care is from the same Greek root as flock. So in other words, he's saying shepherdly care for the flock. So elder, overseer, and shepherd. One office. One group of men. And the point that I want to make, first of all, is an unashamed plug for Presbyterianism. I mean, how can you not? When you come to Acts chapter 20, when you hear of Paul and his love for the church and his love for these men and how God has set the church up for the effective care and safety of his people. You see, Presbyterianism is not just a tradition. It's not just a heritage that we are proud of. Take it or leave it. Now, we are Presbyterians because we believe it's biblical. We believe that God has called elders to rule, to lead, to protect. We believe that the checks and balances, the accountability, the camaraderie and the support, they all aim at and they all work towards a church that is well cared for. And so be proud of your Presbyterianism, not as an end and of itself, but as a God's good design for the care of your soul. And your soul needs to be cared for because Paul reminds the elders here of the need for the church to be protected. Right? Last, a couple weeks ago, we talked the church has an enemy. And he says to the leadership, don't get comfortable, don't relax, be vigilant, be vigilant with your own hearts. Just like he told Timothy, take care of yourself. A.W. Tozer said once, do you know who gives me the most trouble, speaking of his pastoral ministry, do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know who I pray for the most in my pastoral work? Myself, period. 
So Paul reminds the leaders of God's church to take care of themselves, to watch themselves. But he also reminds them to watch out for what's out there, to watch out for wolves, for false teaching. And in our day and age, information and teaching and celebrity travels fast. We not only as people of God need to guard our hearts, but we as elders need to be vigilant caring for and protecting God's people. You see, the the picture that Paul paints here of the church, of Presbyterianism, is so good for us because it reminds us of God's design for the church and how we can rest in that and submit ourselves to that and rejoice in that. See, as these elders in this room, as they hear these words and they think about applying this to their own lives, as you think about it and applying it to your life, you need these kind of elders. And I can tell you that you have these kind of elders. And you need to pray for your elders. You need to pray for strength and discernment for your elders. As Paul speaks with urgency concerning their call to shepherd and to oversee and to guard you. And you also need to pray for more elders. Next month, here in this church, we will have officer nominations. We will begin over the next several weeks teaching and instructing on what it means to nominate one and, and whom you should nominate to the office of elder. We need more elders. We need more godly men willing to take up the mantle that Paul speaks of here. A life poured out and a church designed and structured for your good. Give thanks to the Lord for both. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for these real men. Men that we trust someday we'll be able to to speak with and to share stories with. Father, we thank You for men like these men who You have raised up in our midst to be used by You to care for Your church. Father, I know that I, as well as Theo and Phil and Ed, would recognize our own weakness, our own inadequacy, our own need for the strength of our shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. In order to be and to do what You've called us to do, give us grace. We give You thanks. May we be a church poured out. May we be a church that honors You. May we be a church that rejoices in how You care for us and rests in that. Father, impress these truths upon our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.